from the number one best-selling author of Life Rescripted. You're now tuning in to the Year of Purpose podcast. I'm Zephan Moses Blacksburg. Chris Kumi started his first business when he was just 19 and since then has opened up businesses and helped others open up and grow their businesses as an owner, consultant, and attorney. Chris helps growing businesses in fields ranging from education to technology and in 2012, Business Godfather LLC was established to bring together all the aspects of Chris's experience and background. And Chris, you know, I saw your website. You've got an awesome branding uh, going on here with your Godfather type videos. So great job on that. And Chris, thanks so much for being here today. Well, I think the beauty of the Business Godfather is whenever anyone hears it, they smile. And I think most people kind of get the joke part of it is that, you know, every in the in the Godfather, if you watch the Godfather movies, most of the wisdom that you need to run a business is included in those movies. Mm. And and you can draw on those lessons all the time. Things come up all the time related to employees, related to decisions you have to make and strategic ideas that you have as well. So that's where the business Godfather was born from. I like it. We'll definitely have to jump into a couple of those things that come up in the movie for everyone tuning in. I'd love to just kind of start off with, uh, you know, your bio says you had your first business at 19. I know for me, uh, I had my first business at 16. It failed pretty quickly when I learned that I needed my parents to drive me around everywhere in order to actually complete the work. Um, So I'm curious to hear what was your business at 19 and how did that turn out for you? And, And even before I get to 19, when I was 15, I had I was that was in early 1980s. And at the time, every person that I knew, every person in my family knew between the age of 40 and 50 had their career change, not by their choice, because there was a great level of dislocation going on as big companies started. That was where the downsizing term started. And, you know, the fact that we've just gone through that in 2008, 2009, I think that there's a good parallel there for people is that people realize that it doesn't make any sense to work for someone else. And so that's that's really that was the beginning of the business perspective was seeing that I had to make my own way. And I think for people that are coming up now, I think they realize it more than ever that they need to really make their own way. Mm -hmm. Um, My first business was started when I was in college and it was actually related to the university and a friend of mine Uh, and I put together a coffee shop that ran out of one of the libraries. And so it was a place where people could go when they're taking a study break. And it was, it was a, it was a simple business. And so I didn't, I didn't crash and burn right away. Um, But it wasn't also didn't have, it wasn't, it wasn't the, um, it wasn't sexy, but at the time that was way before Starbucks. That was way before, you know, coffee that actually tasted good. And so at, (laughs) <laughs> at the time, you know, people were just happy to get anything. And so what we did was a little higher quality coffee. And so that gave us an edge, you know, way before people thought about roasting beans and stuff like that. So it was a good it was a good start and it was a good way to kind of, you know, get my feet wet as I went through that. Yeah. And then after college, yeah, you know, after college I went I started working with a friend of mine's parents and they were setting up a hardware store chain down in Florida. And so this was back in the 80s. And so getting things automated was a big deal and getting people using technology. And so I basically helped start, you know, get the hardware store chain started. 
I worked with a nut and bolt manufacturer as they moved from a system that used index cards to actually putting it on a computer. <laughs> and then and then a technology company in New York. And so for me, that was the, the fun part was basically taking something and helping it to evolve and helping it to change. And that's what I've done my whole career. And, you know, I morphed as a business attorney and business consultant and business owner. You know, my passion is really working with individual companies as someone takes their idea and grows it productively. Yeah, so it's really great. It sounds like you get to take a lot of your personal experiences, uh, you know, just over the last, you know, 20 years or so, and really take that and apply it to other people's businesses, which is really what everyone should have when getting started. You know, one of the first things I did was I hired a mentor and a coach that used their own experience to build a business to teach me how to build mine. Uh, And I think that's, you know, probably one of the best things you can do. Um, I think it's funny to hear about automation in the 80s, because, you know, now we're in a day and age where it's like, you know, you text a a word or a number to a five digit code and all of a sudden you can join their mailing list and you're in their business getting emails that have just automatically been set up for you. It's just a totally different world now. So when you talk about index cards, I don't know if uh, if some of the listeners on on our show right now (laughs) even can imagine a business running off of index cards. Um, but yeah, I, I think that it's, it's really amazing to see what we're capable of now. And much like you were saying with the whole, you know, you kind of need to create your own business if you want to live life the way that you want to. Uh, and we live in a world that allows us to do that now, uh, much easier and simpler than ever. So I'd love to jump into a couple of the principles maybe that you've learned from the Godfather. I haven't seen it in a little, in quite some time, so I might have to go back and review. I think it would be cool to see what comes up for me, but maybe if you could bring up a couple of the things that come up in the movie uh, that we should be applying to our own businesses. Well, obviously, you've had a misspent youth if you haven't spent enough time watching the Godfather movies. <laughs> but, but you know, one of, one of the basic and kind of the premise of the whole first movie is that Sonny says something in a meeting and lets a competitor know what he's thinking. And, you know, the Godfather, after the meeting, the Godfather says, what's the matter with you? Never let anyone outside the family know what you're thinking again. And... That idea for entrepreneurs, this is one of the most violated, violated principles out there where someone has a truly innovative idea and they spend a lot of time explaining their business to people that aren't that may take their business idea. And so it's really a it's something where you do have to be a lot more cautious when you have a great idea. You don't want to expose everything out to the world and you want to be a little bit more particular as you choose people. And so this is one thing I find you go, we talk about networking events and things like that. It's amazing. Some of these really important trade secrets that shouldn't be let out that young entrepreneurs uh, talk about and basically spill the beans on what their secret sauce is or what the, you know, what the key to their business is when they really should kind of keep that under wraps and focus on developing that specialty. So I know that a big reason why people do that, though, is obviously they're looking for validation. You know, people are so afraid to jump into these business ideas that they have because, you know, nobody wants to fail, right? Like we don't go into businesses wanting to fail, but I think that uh, we certainly want to test or, or have some sort of an inkling that what we're on to is going to be successful. So how do we uh, 
kind of deal with not being able to to tell everyone our big idea that we're working on and also how do we deal with it if we do share it with someone who really puts the idea down yeah and this is where it gets to what you were talking about as far as finding a trusted advisor someone that you're comfortable with but also have a relationship with them where they're not going to spill the beans or use your ideas against you and because one of the things as you're starting a business you'll find as you start talking to people, there'll be people that'll come out of the woodwork that'll basically be takers and they'll try to get your service for free and they, they act as if they're being great great, uh, um, be- great uh, friends to you. But what they're really doing is kind of sucking your business dry. And so what you want to do is make sure that everything has, you know, the relationship is clear. If someone is a client, you want them to pay. And... You know, that again, that's another godfather principle. You know, it comes up later in the first movie where he says where one of the enemies actually said, you know, you can a refusal is not the act of a friend, but you surely could have presented a bill for services. After all, we're not communists. And I think for a lot of startups, they're so happy to talk to someone that they give away their services or they give away their product for free. And in some ways, they're become they're they're running their business like a communist. Mm. And I know in in this environment, it's a little different because we do have freemium models, and you know, getting people comfortable with paying is something that that businesses have to overcome, particularly when they're online. But at the same time, you don't want you want to make sure that there's a clear delineation of when you're providing value, you're getting value back. And I think for a lot of entrepreneurs they sell themselves short and i'll tell you one one of the reasons why this is pretty powerful for me and when i i I went to law school i started my law practice in the 90s and again you talk about business on index cards the internet i started my law practice in 1994 the internet was a brand new thing in 1994 as far as the general public was concerned and so there are a lot of businesses that sprung up then and really matured over time. And part of it is I've seen these mistakes happen over and over where people would have a great idea. They'd expose it to a bunch of people. And then that idea was taken by someone else. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, it's, 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 a, it's just something that as an entrepreneur, you want to make sure that you, you find people that you can actually trust that are looking out for your best interest, but also, too, that you've got a business relationship with them. And so it's really for people that you're casual with, you don't necessarily want to know, let them to know all the family secrets. I think that makes sense. I mean, I think a, a prime example of it in modern day is if anyone's seen the social network, you know, looking at the backstory of Facebook and how um, Mark Zuckerberg was with his idea and the Winklevoss twins and how, you know, they claim that he stole his, uh, their idea. Um, you know, I think that it's it's far too easy to overhear someone talking about something great and then next week you you can go out and launch it yourself. Um, and I think we see this on Shark Tank quite a lot too. If, you, if you're a fan of Shark Tank, I know that a lot of investors will come out there and they'll say, okay, do you have you know a patent for this? And they'll say, well, no. And then they'll say, okay, so basically when this show comes out, you know, eight other people, nothing's stopping them from making this same product. And they're like, yeah, pretty much. You know, so yeah. I, I, I think we see that happen a lot today. Um, I know you were mentioning that there were some principles in there, too, when it comes to just uh, working with employees. Uh, how does that work out or how does that play out in the movie? 
Well, there's there's one scene where Tom Hagen has been captured by the enemies, and the um, and the guy who captured him said, "Blood is a big expense," and you know, Salazzo said that. The idea, I mean, if you think about it from from your business perspective, you know, firing people is always a big expense, and it gets to the other side. Also, hiring people and hiring the wrong people is a bigger expense, and so. Part of this is having an understanding of when you hire someone, whether it's as an independent contractor, as an employee, what you really need to do is define what you need from them. And I think it's a failing for a lot of startups. Again, they're just happy to have someone join them. And they bring people on. They may bring people on as partners. And they may bring people on because they have they share enthusiasm, but they don't necessarily have the same commitment to the idea or to the business. Mm -hmm. And so part of it goes to when we hire people, we need to make sure that we've got a level of commitment from them. But also, no, you can't go through life firing every employee because eventually you'll end up with yourself. Um, it's something with a startup. One of the things that I, I've seen over time is that particularly when people do their first startup, they're kind of lacking confidence and you kind of hinted at that earlier. And so what they do is they want to surround themselves with other people thinking that there's strengths in numbers. And it was very common as an attorney, when people starting a business for the first time, it was always a group of two, three, four, five people. The people that had run businesses and started businesses before always came in by themselves. Mm. And so they recognized that they, they needed to be able to do it themselves so they could maintain control and that they could also make sure that they were able to get things done as opposed to dragging people along. And you know, for a lot of startups, someone will start up, they'll have a technology person, they'll have an operations person, they'll have a salesperson, and invariably, all three of those functions think that they're the most important part of the business and that the other two functions aren't doing enough. And it's, it's something that tears apart small businesses. And so part of it is just structuring your business right off the bat with the right people and making sure that the visionary is the one that maintains control and then bringing on people to provide those services for technology and operations is really a more successful approach to making a business work. So it sounds like there's certainly a balance there, right? Like you don't want to be the one man band who is, you know, the CIO, the CMO, you know, every position wrapped into one because the business can certainly fail that way, especially if you're wearing all the hats. But at the same time, much like you're saying here, you want to make sure that you're hiring the right people for those positions. And I think there was there was something you mentioned that made me think of a good friend of mine. You know, he was brought into a business where they basically said, um, you know, you're going to be in a sales position. We're going to teach you everything. We know that this is a bit of a new industry for you, but you're motivated. You're interested. Let's do this. And sure enough, like three months later, uh, he was let go because he wasn't, you know, bringing in millions of dollars in sales every month like they were expecting. And, you know, it just I watched it happen right in front of me. They didn't hire the right person and they wasted three months of their time. No offense to my friend, but like, you know, they didn't give them the right training, so they didn't hire the right person. They really needed somebody who had some training and experience already. And also sales for any new organization is hard. If you don't have an established sales process, a sales training system, 
and a continual flow of sales candidates, you're going to be at, at a, in a problem. And so this is part of kind of a, a business model issue. And, you know, one of the things that some of my colleagues and I talk about, you know, just like the Easter bunny isn't walking through your door, the perfect salesperson isn't either. And salespeople need an organization to be effective. And what happens with the startups is they're so happy to have someone that has some sales experience, they think they're going to know all the steps along the way. But an effective salesperson needs a sales organization to actually be effective and a sales process to work. So that's part of you know what we get into. And there's a, I have a best-selling book, The Business Godfather Treatment, and we talk about kind of how do we start looking for the right types of business opportunities and start structuring our business model in a way where it can be successful. Because sales are always an overlooked portion for someone, someone who starts a business that's not a salesperson. There's a complexity to it. But also, too, the business doesn't exist without sales. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, if you don't have a sales focus in your organization, you're probably not going to go far. Usually what I see, you know, you'll price things too low because you're just happy to have a sale or the salespeople don't have the support to actually follow through on the sale and also kind of the backup systems to make it work. And so for every startup, you know, I know there's the idea and kind of the joke in Silicon Valley is you don't want revenue because then you have more potential. Um, At the same time, there's never been a better time to be able to get revenue relatively quickly. And so the business model for technology from the 90s and the early 2000s, we didn't need revenue and you could get a big, you know, a big buyout. I think that's been replaced you can get revenue right now and you can start building value and building the organization you want, unlike any other time in history. So what you're saying is we don't have to starve ourselves living off of ramen noodles while we try to get a successful startup off the ground. Yeah, I think, I think, I mean, there is that kind of that overstated glorification of it, but you know, the, the thing is you want to, yeah, you don't, you don't want to be profligate with your expenses, right? You need to, you know, you need to, you know, make sure on a regular basis you're reviewing your expenses even after you're profitable. Like you need at least on an annual basis, maybe on a quarterly basis, depending on the business, go through every expense you have and purge some of them because you're going to have some wasted expenses in there because what happens is other expenses sneak in. So that's how you kind of keep your business healthy. Um, at the same time, your goal as a business should be to generate money. You know, one of the things I, I'm writing a book on tax stuff now, and, you know, I used to have clients come in and they'd say, hey, I want to structure my business so I don't have to pay any taxes. And I say, that's easy. Just don't make any money. <laughs> the, the goal should be to make as much money as you can and make more money than anybody else and pay more taxes than anybody else because then you've got then that shows that you really have a real business there. Right. And, you know, but, but what I get into, and so there's some blogs and stuff on the Business Godfather website that get into, there's also structures now where we can put together some businesses that can provide us with tax-free income once we're 59 years old. Oh, And so there's some really, yeah, there's some really creative things we can do, particularly, you know, as entrepreneurs, usually you don't have just one stream of income. Right. The most successful uh, entrepreneurs I've worked with have had multiple streams of income. Mm-hmm. 
And so one of the things I, I work with my clients on is to develop at least one of those streams so that they can have tax-free income when they get to 59. And there's some great opportunities for cash flow businesses, for real estate businesses, and also things when you really want to leave a legacy for your family from a, on a tax-free basis. Yeah, Incredibly I was, powerful. I was going to say, I'm sure that's really helpful for those that, uh, you know, either have had trouble up until that age with, you know, building up a huge savings, because I know there's a lot of people in that age bracket that just haven't been as responsible financially as they could have been. But it also sounds like a great opportunity for people like me where, you know, being 27, I don't know if Social Security and, and these things are going to be around by the time uh, I actually need to depend on them. So having those business, um, those income streams could be really important at that age. Yeah, and, and you know, just recognize, Albania has a social security system. So there will be something. It just may not be as generous as it is now. Right. At the same time, you know, it's part of, you know, if you're going to work, you're 27, you know, say you work for the next 30 years, and then how much longer after 59 are you going to live? You're probably going to live 20, 30, 40 years. Right. So if you could, and that's basically half of your adult life. So if you could generate tax-free income for half of your adult life, that's something worth doing. So it's not just it's not just how do I squirrel money away. It's kind of taking it, and this is part of what, what, what I'll get into. It's, you know, people have been conditioned to use these passive financial instruments and see that as their only avenue for investments. And as business owners, business owners think that's the most boring thing out there. And I have a number of colleagues and friends that, you know, they're multi-millionaires and they have, you know, five, ten million dollars sitting with a financial advisor and they don't even feel like it's their money hmm. because the financial advisor tells them they can't use it or they can only expect a three or four percent return or whatever the ridiculous thing they're saying. And my perspective is and 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 problem is that's what financial instruments can provide. But as an entrepreneur, there's nothing exciting about that. So what happens is people get divorced from their money. And so my perspective is for that extra income, for that six, that, that your age 60 to 100, why don't you keep being an entrepreneur? Why don't you position your assets so that you can start be, you know, building businesses, being an angel investor with your Roth IRA is a lot more exciting than investing in some stupid mutual fund. Right. Okay. So, so there's a lot of there's a lot of power you can have, but part of it is you do have to plan and you do have to position your assets so that when you get there, you're able to take advantage of stuff like that. So I was going to say, you know, what are some of the best things I can do? And, and if anyone's listening, who's kind of in this millennial generation or, you know, in their late 20s, early 30s, what can we do to prepare ourselves and set ourselves up for that so that when we get there, um, you know, we're, we're in good shape? And, and, and recognize when we're talking about it, it's not just about being old, okay? So part of it is if you can build your assets up in a tax-deferred or tax-free circumstance, you're able to basically plan for the future. But it's not like that money is not available to you. So right now, if you own a business, you've got to pay income tax and self-employment tax, Right. Mm -hmm. So you pay so you pay 15% for your self-employment tax and you pay whatever your income tax is. 
if you build up money in a Roth IRA or even a regular IRA or 401k and you take money out, all you're paying is 10%, which they call the penalty, plus income tax. So you're actually paying less than you would as an entrepreneur or as an employee. So part of this is you kind of you want to free yourself from the shackles of what the financial services industry has put you in. Okay, once the 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 assets there are available to you when you're 30 years old, it's your money, and so the key is you don't have to pay taxes on it unless you want to. That's part of the power of using this Roth IRA and Roth 401k, and if you use them in conjunction. You know, you can have a second business that's only purpose is to fund your tax-free or tax-deferred accounts. And so they've changed the rules now. It used to be you could only take 20% of your money Mm -hmm. and put it into a tax-deferred. Now you can have a business that makes, say, $25,000, and you can have $18,000 go into your Roth IRA, your Roth 401k, and 5,500 go into your Roth IRA. And basically that business is funding your tax-free strategies. Interesting, so you could basically funnel most of that money just right into those accounts. Absolutely, in fact, you can do up to 53,000 into those into tax-free and tax-deferred accounts. The most you can get into a tax-deferred, a tax-free account before you're 50 is 23,500, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, once you turn 50, you can put an extra 7,000 in. So there's about 30,500 you can put into tax-free accounts. You can put an extra 26,000 into tax-deferred accounts. So if you really want to be an aggressive asset builder, you can put it in those accounts. And there's nothing wrong with taking that money out when you're 30 or 35 or 40, but that's part of the strategy. So this is, I think this is where people kind of have been shackled by their own assets is there's such, you know, there's a taboo to use your own assets to build your wealth, which just doesn't make sense to me. And so, so this is, so part of it, this is as an entrepreneur, you're used to breaking free from the conventional. And this is an area where you can break free from the conventional. And, you know, if you do have a house flipping business, you can generate, you can generate money in there and you don't have to file taxes on it. Now, when you take the money out, that's a tax thing. But if your strategy for that is for some future event and maybe to fund a business in 10 years, then you don't have to be worrying about paying taxes on it until you get to that 10 year period. Right. So it does require, it, it requires some planning, it requires some patience. But if you take an entrepreneurial attitude to those accounts, you can get much better results than these sleepy, you know, two, three, 4% returns that the financial services industry tells you is all you're allowed to get. I, I like that a lot. I think that, I mean, I guess there's a good reason why they call you the business godfather there is being able to teach people these things that, you know, I would have never heard of uh, for sure. You know, I, I would have no clue about that. Um, and I will certainly be much more attentive to uh, putting money into. I do have a Roth IRA and things like that set up. So I think it's really great to see uh, how useful that can become, uh, you know, over the years, putting putting money away there. Yeah. And, and it's the perfect and it's the perfect thing for that second business, 
So it gives you the motivation if that money has a purpose. It gives you the motivation that, yeah, I have my core business that's going to pay for my current bills and, you know, maybe building towards you know, a buyout or a bigger business, but then also have a second business that's there primarily as an asset builder. And, you know, if you bring your entrepreneurial mindset to it, it's incredibly powerful. And Zephan, don't feel bad. There really is nowhere on the internet that talks about this. Mm. And so that's where, you know, part of why I started the business Godfather was to kind of give my perspective. And, you know, as a lawyer, you know, one of the things you do is you read the rules and then figure out how do you make the rules work for you. Right. And as an, and as an entrepreneur, you don't usually read the rules, but you do figure out how to make it work for you. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's where that's that's kind of the perspective of everything that I do when I help when I help business owners. It's take a look at how do we do this more effectively? And there's no you know, there's nothing says you have to do it a certain way. And, that you know, that to me, that's part of the value that I bring. And even if people are just reading the blogs, people, you're going to have a better perspective on what it's like to be an entrepreneur. And, you know, the business godfather treatment is written for people that aren't looking for venture capital. It's written for people that aren't, have never run a business and are thinking of them, I might want to be a business owner. You know, the business godfather treatment was written for people like you that know, you know what, I'm going to be a business owner my whole life. I may not be in this business, <laughs> but I'm going to be a business owner or at least approach things from an entrepreneurial perspective. Sure. And it's really an un it's really an underserved area in, you know, kind of the intellectual world. But 90 percent of business owners aren't looking for venture capital. And, you know, th there's really not a whole lot of people talking for them. And those are the folks that I've worked with over the last 30 years. So part of it, you know, as an entrepreneur, a lot of it is attitude. <laughs> and you have to have, you know, kind of a, a, an attitude that you're going to figure out how this works and how is it going to work for you. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with that. One of the big things for me when I first got my business off the ground uh, was travel hacking. And the whole idea was I knew I wanted to travel the world. I wanted to find a way to make it work for me where I didn't have to spend thousands and thousands of dollars. And I'm glad to say that to date, I've probably done somewhere between 30 to 35 flights around uh, all over the place for absolutely free. I think the most I've ever paid for a flight is $5.60 in taxes. Um, and so I'm a huge fan of finding ways to, uh, you know, make the system work for you as opposed to against you. And it's just a matter of figuring out, you know, where those rules can be bent or where the loopholes are. Yeah, and, it's, and it's pretty it's cool that you can do that without basically going where you want without paying. But think if you take that same attitude and start thinking big about it, how can you how can you do that and generate one hundred thousand, five hundred thousand, a million dollars tax free? That's even cooler. Right. <laughs> right. Well, run a business while I you're mean, doing that, it. Exactly. Yeah. And so so part of this, you know, it's taking advantage of that attitude and, you know, just understanding what the, the structures allow you to do. And you know, most people put shackles on themselves, even entrepreneurs. And so what you have to do is kind of break free and just come with a creative mindset and start saying, how do I do this better? You know, one of the things that I see, I mentioned earlier, where a lot of business owners get in trouble, they bring enthusiasm, they bring excitement, they bring some insight into a new business, but when they build their business model, 
the business model itself usually is not robust yeah. enough to continue to exist. You know, it's it's usually a me too type of business. Like they're trying to be the next Facebook mm-hmm. or the next, you know, whatever. Um, but once the, you know, it, one of the things we, we know in this environment, once someone is established in that business, if you, if you're trying to copy them, you'll never get there. And so part of this is you can take an innovation like that. And the history of innovation shows what you do is you take a proven innovation and then apply it to a new field. And in your business model, as you think about even businesses you're in, but also that some of your listeners are in, if they take a hard look at it, a lot of them are just me too businesses or they're a great idea. And I call it the solution in search of a problem business. It's a really cool technology, but the likelihood of it becoming an explosive growth opportunity is not that great. And people, entrepreneurs spend less time on their business model and more time hunting for money. Whereas if they spent more time thinking about their business model, thinking strategically about what are you really trying to accomplish, you'd end up with a much better result. And so that's, that's really my passion is helping startups in particular, but also people that are going through transition. You know, many of my clients are people that have had successful businesses for 10, 20, 30 years, but they recognize that the way they've done things aren't going to get them where they want to be in the next five years or that the business has changed. And so part of that is, you know, being a catalyst for change and catalyst for productive change instead of destructive change is a big part of what the business godfather helps folks do. Certainly. And I, I think you've got a lot of great advice both here in this episode and also on your website. Just to circle things off, I'd love to share with everyone tuning in, uh, you know, what's the best place to find your book, remind everyone what that's called, and um, the best place to learn more about how they can work with you and learn from you. Well, the book is The Business Godfather Treatment, and we put that together as a Kindle book, and so it's available on Amazon. And it really was something, you know, I, it was something where we put together. I just wanted to see what kind of response we would get. And I was pretty excited and kind of surprised that, you know, we in our first two months, we were a bestseller on Amazon for small businesses. Nice. And we basically were in the top, we we're basically were in the top 10. We never got to number one, but we did get to number two. Um, but, you know, it's, it's there because it does speak to this unique audience. And a lot of the same wisdom that's in there is also included on the Business Godfather website, which is businessgodfather.com. And, you know, there's blogs there, there's videos there, there's some podcasts, but all of it is from the perspective of how do I build a better business model? And there's a process of how, that you can implement yourself. And so, you know, the Business Godfather treatment book actually walks you through the process I use with my clients so that you can give yourself the business godfather treatment so that you can start figuring out, you know, what am I best at in the world? And that's kind of the first step of this. And then get into what are my strategic objectives with this business and identifying what actions you need to take to achieve those objectives and how to structure it and giving yourself a way to manage your business so you move forward. You know, one of the things that's a problem for a lot of entrepreneurs, they have great ideas, right? You probably wake up and you've got 10 new ideas every day, but a lot of those ideas stay on your task list or your 
your notebook or on your, your notepad on your phone and don't move forward. Yeah. So the part of the business godfather treatment is to move, basically make sure you're making progress towards those goals and actually put them into effect. I think that's great. And you have such a good resource there. Chris, this has been a great episode. Do you have any just, you know, parting words of wisdom that you'd like to share with everyone tuning in? Well, I think from, you know, a lot of people look at now as kind of a new entrepreneurial time. But I really think the aberration was from 1950 to 2000. It's kind of a professional time where everyone thought all I had to do is go to school, become a doctor, lawyer, engineer, and make money for the rest of my life. And where we're at now with everybody needing multiple streams of income is basically where we were 100 years ago. And so it's a very natural thing and people should embrace it and start looking at how can I start building multiple businesses, building multiple streams of income so that you can make sure that you're not subject to the whims of someone else. And that's, that's my focus and I think that's your focus too is helping people so they don't have to um, be subject to the whims of someone else. Exactly. Well, thanks so much for being here to, today, Chris. We really appreciate it and uh, look forward to keeping in touch with you. Thank you, Zeph, and take care. Hey, everyone, it's Zeph. Did you like this episode? Be sure to subscribe so that you can tune in next week and tell a friend about the show. If you want access to free training and exclusive interviews on success, happiness, lifestyle design, and adventure, visit me at yearofpurpose.com. Until next time, go out and let life surprise you so that you can live a life rescripted. scripted